following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, December 3rd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Welcome to Redemption Hill Church, this first Sunday of Advent. I don't know... I don't know how old all of you are, taking a look at the room, at least some of you are in my range. So how many of you remember, this is an old TV show called In Living Color, with the Wayans brothers, and you remember? Some of you have heard of Jim Carrey, that's where he actually got his start. Jim Carrey, Jennifer Lopez was one of the dancers, but there was this skit that they had on, on In Living Color called Haymon. I don't know if you all remember that, but Damon, Damon Wayans would play this Jamaican father. It just really reminded me of my own home growing up. I, I grew up in a home with two Jamaican parents, and you know, the Jamaican accent on the show was terrible, but it was still funny. Man, I got 14 jobs. You lazy lima bean boy, you got only three jobs. And it was a terrible accent, you understand? But, but what you don't know is, is that, that skit was actually based on the Goodlett family. I mean, that, that was my story growing up. My parents, uh, my dad in particular, worked a number of jobs when we were younger just to make ends meet, or as he would say, to keep them from sprinting apart from each other at record pace. But uh, if you stop them and ask, why, why did you do it all? Why did you make all those sacrifices? Why, um, why did you, what was it for? They would, they would always look at you and say it was for you. It was for you kids. It was to provide you with a certain kind of life. That's what the sacrifice was for. That's why we went through all of that. And, and there's something they wanted for us out of it. And it's the same thing with God. When he sends Jesus into the world and when Jesus goes through and, and sacrifices himself the way that he does, it is first and foremost, of course, for the glory of God. But, but under that, there, there is this thing that he wants for us, a kind of life he wants for us, some things that that he died for, and we're, we're gonna come across some of those things today as we read through Hebrews chapter 10. So open, open there and join me in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll pray in just a minute. We won't read the whole chapter, but I thought it was interesting preparing this week that the chapter is actually almost bookended by Advent language. In, in chapter five, you'll, you'll see this. When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So speaking there of Christ's first coming, when he came into the world, he said that. And then down toward the end in verse 37, you'll see this. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. So here we are, just between Jesus' first and second coming. And, and as we celebrate Advent and get ready to do that this season, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked Hebrews chapter 10 as a typical Advent, you know, kind of passage. But, but lo and behold, here we are, and, and there it is bracketed by Advent language. Let me pray for the rest of our time together, and then we'll, we'll get into it. We'll read Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start in verse 12. Uh, we'll read down uh, for a little bit, and then we'll skip to verse 26. So follow me as we pray and as we go. Father, thank you so much um, for an opportunity again to just come before you. Jesus has opened up a way for us to come to you and 
we should. I mean, just looking at our lives and some of the things we've done, we should have reason to fear or, or to, to think it wouldn't go well for us to try to approach you and to come into your presence. But Jesus has changed that for us. And so we can come in now and we can talk to you and we can ask you to help us. And you help us now through your word. Uh, use me this morning just to, to highlight some things in your word that will be helpful to your people. And we ask all, this thing, all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where these, or where rather there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Skip with me to verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth... There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, Father, help us as we, as we read through this today and as we talk through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to do two things, really. Number one, hopefully we'll see um, what Jesus actually did for us. Why, why did he sacrifice himself this way? What did he accomplish for us as he did that? And then secondly, um, how does he want us to respond? And, 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 and before I do all that, I just want to take a quick word to address verses 26 through 31, a quick moment, because a lot of, a lot of Christians have been troubled by that paragraph. We read that and we think, it kind of sounds like we can lose our salvation, right? And if you're like me, you, you do enough things that if, it, if it's possible for you to lose your salvation, you're probably going to lose it, right? And so, and so we, we get troubled by things like this, and it's easy to see why. I mean, look at verse 29. You look at verse 29, and at least at first reading, it, it sounds like we're talking about somebody who has been sanctified by the blood of the covenant. You see that language? It's somebody who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified. 
And so we read that and immediately we say, well, this must be talking about a true and genuine believer uh, because who else could be described in that way? Now, now, it would take four or five whole messages to really address this issue and settle this issue. We're not going to settle this issue in what I say this morning, right? So, uh, and good Christians are, are you know, they, they differ on this point. You have some churches that go one way, some that go another way. Here, we ultimately land in the place where we, we believe that the believer is eternally secure in his or her salvation. All right, so, and, and, and we have lots of reasons for believing that. And yet we want to take God's warnings very sternly. He, the author of Hebrews is speaking to a group of people that, that contains all kinds of people. You know, you look out at a huge crowd like this and you don't know exactly where everyone is. And so God speaks to us on, on one hand in one moment with words of comfort and assurance. And, and in another moment, he speaks words of warning, right? And, and we need to take all of those in the sense that God means them. But... If you look at this, one thing that I want to point out this morning is when you look at that word sanctified and that concept, there is actually another part of the Bible that mentions this and that talks about a kind of being sanctified. But we know with 100% certainty that when the Bible uses sanctified in that place, it's actually applying the term to an unbeliever to someone who does not have a saving relationship with Jesus yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't lose your place here, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Now, all of this to say, I can't prove to you that Hebrews 10 is talking about someone who is not yet a true and genuine believer. I'm just saying that biblically speaking, there is a category for people who are sanctified in some sense, but who are still regarded as unbelievers. You'll see that for yourself here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. That phrase, made holy, is the exact same word in the original Greek language as the sanctified in Hebrews 10.29. It's the Greek word hagiazo. And I'm going to try to give you a little less Greek than I gave the 8.30 class. But I say that only to show you that the exact same word in the Bible that we see in Hebrews chapter 10 that leads us to, to conclude that, that we might lose our salvation if we're not careful. That exact same word is applied to an unbeliever and it refers to that unbeliever in, in 1 Corinthians 7 as in some sense being sanctified. Now, what we, what we tend to think is that when the, when the word sanctified is used in that way and applied to an unbeliever, it seems to mean that the unbeliever has benefited from an unusually high degree of exposure to the truth and to the means of grace through his or her relationship with the people of God and through being in environments where, where they're brought near to those means which do produce salvation. And so you can speak about a person like that being in some sense sanctified by all of these things. So again, all of that to say we won't settle the debate here, 
But before we jump to the conclusion that we can lose our salvation based on Hebrews 10.29 or Hebrews 6, it's important to remember to bring all of the Bible and all that the Bible has to say about this to bear on those texts. Does that make sense? And that's a good practice for, for everything we're looking at. Because if you take John chapter 6, 37 through 44, John chapter 8, John chapter 10, 28 through 30, you take, you take Romans chapter 8, all of it. You take, you know, just, there is so much that leads us to conclude that the believer's privilege is to be eternally secure and assured of his salvation to the very end. John 6, 37 through 44, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And of those who come to me, I will never Never cast them out, but raise them up at the last day. Can I lose my Christian or my, my, uh, my salvation if it's only up to me? If God only put my salvation in my hands? Man, I lose everything. I lose my keys. I lose my job. I was famous for this as a kid. There's probably stuff right now on a soccer field in Maryland that belongs to a Goodlet. My mom said I could lose my shadow if that were possible. And on some cloudy days like this, I think I accomplished that as well. But the real question is not so much, can I lose my salvation? As one person put it, it's, can Jesus lose a Christian? If I have gone into his hands for safekeeping, can he lose me? What has he chosen to do? And, and what we see from the full breadth of scripture is that Jesus takes an active interest in preserving us to the very end. And there is no power in heaven no power in hell that can keep Jesus from accomplishing that. All right, so we, it is, as pastors, that's one of the things on our hearts, that, that you would rejoice in the assurance of your salvation, if indeed you have truly been born again, and if not, that you would come and receive that opportunity that God sets before you to, to come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ, maybe today, maybe today. All right, well, let's, let's get to the rest of it. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go back to verse 14 and, and let's start to get a sense again of what Jesus accomplished for us and what the Bible means when it says in verse 14, for by one offering, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You and I, when we look at ourselves, we, we, we hardly ever apply the term perfect. He has perfected. What does that mean? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now listen, whatever is meant here, and we'll see it in a minute, but whatever is meant here by Jesus perfecting us in some sense, did you catch that this perfection is not simply for the past or the present, but for all time? What Jesus accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection has, in some sense, perfected us for all time. And if we go back to the beginning of chapter 10, we start to get a sense of what this being made perfect is, is all about. Go to verse 1 with me, if you will. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 
The sacrifices prescribed by the law that were to be offered over and over and over again. Anytime we sinned, every year we sinned, we need another sacrifice. There, there's something between me and God that's not yet forgiven. You got to have the right offering. The law says bring the goat, bring the bull, sacrifice that. All right, that takes care of it for this year. All right, let's do it again. The law was unable to make perfect the worshiper or the believer that came with that sacrifice because it was just a bull or a goat. If that weren't the case, if there was something magical about these, these animals, verse 2, otherwise, would those sacrifices not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? or would no longer feel guilty for their sins, the NIV says. So when the Bible says in verse 1 that these other sacrifices were not able to make perfect those who draw near, we get the sense from verse 2 that that perfection has something to do with a cleansing. A perfection or a perfect cleansing on the inside. Our consciences are relieved of the burden of the defilement and the awareness or consciousness of our sins. And what our sins deserve should we ever come into the presence of God with those sins still unforgiven. There is something about the one offering of Jesus that takes care of that. That makes us perfect in that sense. That is perfectly cleansed at the level of our conscience and then perfectly fit to enter the presence of God without fear. And this is actually what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 through 4 is talking about. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law, what the law could not do, verse 3, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled through us who don't walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. What the law and all of its prescribed sacrifices could not do, God did. How? By sending his son Jesus in our likeness. Presenting him as an offering for our sins. And so... Making us perfect by that one offering is now accomplished in God's sight. Perfectly cleansed on the inside, his law written on our heart and on our minds, and now perfectly fit to walk into the presence of God without fear. That is what Jesus has accomplished for us. In fact, if you go down, look at chapter 10, verse 17, God adds this piece. He says, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Jesus has brought God the Father to that place where he says, I will, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Now, now, he's not saying God forgets what happened in the, in the way that we forget things at times. He, he's actually saying God has made a conscious decision to not remember our sins. You can dismember something and you can remember something. You can compile it, put it all together, and, and, and actually bring it up again in a way that can be used against. The per- God's not going to do that to us. He says, your sins and your lawless deeds, they're gone. The blood of Jesus has been poured out on those sins and lawless deeds. 
What are you bringing that next offering for? There's nothing here to apply that offering to. They, they, I'm going to talk to you. There, there, there is no more unforgiven sin to atone for. Because Christ has perfected the worshiper who just sinned again. Sorry God. He has perfected internally that worshiper from all the defilement of sin. And he has done it for all time. So your next sin is taken care of already by Christ. That's what he's saying. And, and some of you are, are getting nervous. You say, Pastor, you better say something to keep these people from going crazy. <laughs> because that sounds like a blank check. If you and I hear that word of grace and what Christ has accomplished for his people and we say we're going to game the system as Jay-Z once said in, in a, in a, we're going to pray a lot right? we're going to sin a lot and pray to Christ to forgive us no, believers don't do that in a premeditated fashion we don't say you know for the next 20 years I'm going to game the system and sneak in at the end if you and I take this as a blank check and as a license to go out and sin, and that's what we really want to do, we've just proven who we are. We are not God's children if that's how we respond to this grace. If, if you respond to this grace by saying, I want to live the rest of my life as a man on borrowed time. I should be gone. I should have been wiped out by, by the wrath of God. His judgment should have taken me out of this place. But Jesus has seen fit by his mercy to keep me here. And to call me to himself. And make me his own. And use me as his vessel. I, I want to give him. I, if I could give him my past I would. But I'm, uh, you know what? He gets every day from here on out. Now we're going to mess up a lot. With that heart, we're still going to mess up a lot. The future is going to see us sin, sometimes in egregious ways. But he's going to pick us up. He's going to dust us off. And he's going to remind us that he's already taken care of that. And, and, and just like he did with Peter. Hey, look, yeah, you denied me three times. Go now and strengthen your brothers. Yeah, I still got a role for you, Peter. Raymond, I still got a role for you. Put your name in there. He's still got something for us. Right? So Christ has perfected us for all time. Our sins and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. And so there's no, there's no need for this other offering. There's nothing to apply it to. And so its usefulness is gone. Its time is used up. You know, when I, when I first started driving, I got my license at 16. But I didn't get my first car until I was 21. I was in Maryland. Then I moved here that, that same year. But back then, long time ago, I know for some of you. We used to get, when you, when you bought that car, we used to get this temporary license plate. I don't think they do that anymore. Maybe they do in some places. But we used to get this little paper license plate, and you'd put it on there. Somehow it stayed on the car. I don't know how. But we used to put that thing on there, and it was good for about 30 days, but it had an expiration date. The authorities required that temporary license plate for that time, and they accepted it 
And you didn't get a ticket if you had at least that temporary license plate. But when the permanent license plate came in the mail to replace it, you took that one off and you went with what was permanent. Right? If you understand that, then you can understand this. God required those other sacrifices to be made. The law required that. And the authority accepted that as authorization and permission to drive out there on the road. The, the, the authorities accepted that. But something else was coming. Something permanent was coming to replace that. And after that which is permanent has come, it is now actually wrong to keep that which was temporary. You, you follow that? So, so those sacrifices are to be done away with because Christ, the true sacrifice, has come, the permanent one who sanctifies us and perfects us for all time. All right? So that, that is how this works. Our sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. Not only is no offering needed anymore, it, it, it wouldn't be accepted. There is only one offering for sins now, and that is the man Jesus Christ, crucified, raised for you and for me if we'll have him. You might be thinking at this point, what, what do we do with all this? That, that, that's great. Some of it sounds true. <laughs> what do we do? How does Jesus want us to respond to these truths? How should this shape our life? I'll tell you in just a moment. Let me tell you this true story first. True story. There's a guy by the name of Ryan Hendrickson. You can look him up. He's a former U.S. Green Beret. Just last year in August, uh, he, he decided he was going to, at great risk to himself, um, sacrifice time, resources, risk his very life to go to Ukraine to help the Ukrainian people after they had been invaded by the Russian army. And, and he went there specifically. He had developed a, a very special set of skills. No, you got Liam Neeson in your head, some of you. But he had learned through his tours in Afghanistan how to detect, how to find, and how to, how to defuse landmines and other IEDs. So he had all the equipment, all the training, all the experience. And one of the things the Russian army did when they went into Ukraine was in order to, to weaken them and to prevent them from providing food, they would go into farmlands and they would bury landmines there. And so there were hundreds, who knows how many, landmines in some of these farmlands. Ryan Hendrickson went in, and, and over the space of a month, maybe a month and a half or so, he, he found and diffused hundreds, hundreds of these landmines in the farmlands of Ukraine. Now, now, why did he do that? Why did he sacrifice his time, his resources? Why did he risk his life? He, he did it to prepare that place for those who would come after him. He did it to clear the place of what would otherwise be dangerous for those who would come after, who didn't have his special skills, who could not have gone in first without being destroyed. He did it so that they would have the full assurance that when they went in there, it was safe for them. And most of all, he did it so that when they got there, they could actually do what was meant to be done in that place. Plant, grow, harvest, enjoy. 
Friends, when Jesus sacrificed himself for us and went into the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, when he went into the holy places in heaven, now to appear in the presence of God for us, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled, John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. He went to prepare a place for us in the presence of God. He went to remove everything that would have made God's presence a danger to us. And most of all, he went so that when we got there, we could do what we were always meant to do in his presence. I skipped over Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Let's look at it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, three things the Lord wants us to do on the back heels of his sacrifice. Number one, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. There is a full assurance which belongs to our faith. He wants us to have that, not simply to have salvation, not simply to have that faith, but to have the full assurance that should accompany it. He wants us to draw near to God. He has opened the way to our Father in heaven so that we we could come in, we could draw near, and we could know that we are fully pardoned, we are fully welcomed and fully accepted in His sight. No fear, no guilt, no shame. No fear in life, no guilt in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand. Till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I stand. You know, if, we lose, if we lose our confidence in the eternal security of the believer, we'll never have songs like that written again. We'll never sing songs like that again. Those songs came to us. We inherited them from people that had that biblical conviction. May it be that, that the, the same conviction is found in this generation and passed on to the young ones we see here. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Secondly, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And I'll give you a little more Greek here. The word order really is important. If you read this in the original language, it, it doesn't say what the NIV says. And I don't mean to bash the NIV because... I'll just come out of the closet here and tell you that's still my favorite translation for my personal reading. I just love to read it. It flows more smoothly, I think. And I know that's dangerous to say here because you're ESV people. <laughs> but the, the, the real Greek here does not say what the NIV says. It does not say, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It actually says, let us hold fast. And the object, the thing to which we are called to hold fast, is the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And that hold fast means 
to repeatedly acknowledge and affirm and even to speak. Let us continually confess our hope that just as Christ has been raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too will rise to the newness of life. If then you've been raised with Christ, then set your hope on things above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Newer song, Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life, but no grave could ever restrain Him. Praise the Lord, He is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. That is our hope. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead or into hell, whichever version you prefer. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, that is universal church. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, amen. amen. The resurrection of the body. Life everlasting. Just as Christ was raised, we will be raised. And so we confess this. We hold fast to it. Yeah, I, that, that little Apostles' Creed, I learned in a little Catholic school when I was like six or eight years old. But it's something, I remember I used to tuck my kids in to bed at night and, and just say that to them. Not, not so that they would, per se, have it memorized, or so, but that it would actually get in there and they would pass it on to my grandkids one day. And that my grandkids would pass it on to their children. And that the faith which it represents, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, would be alive in us. And that the rest of this world would have a chance to hear about the Lord Jesus, to come to faith, to believe in Him, to walk with Him, to enjoy Him. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. He wants us to draw near to him with a true heart and full assurance of faith. He wants us to hold fast to the confession of our hope. And then he says, let us consider, verse 24, how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Let us consider how to do that. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've got to keep doing this. We've got to keep meeting together. We can't neglect the assembling of ourselves together. It's God's plan for nurturing us. It's God's plan for equipping us to be his people out in the world. He causes us to come in here and rub shoulders with one another, to live life together, to be shaped by each other's mutual faith, to be encouraged. And we need it desperately. We need it often. It's not even just once a week on a Sunday. I mean, this is about really not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together in a way that provides us with the encouragement we all need. I don't know about you, but I need this thing daily. So this this is what we're called to. This is what God wants for us. 
And there are so many things that would keep us from meeting together and, and assembling like this. But we have, to, we have to make sure those things don't have the power to draw us away. Whether distractions, entertainment, offenses, whatever it is, just we, we've got to keep doing this. It, I'm not saying God needs this to get to you and to do something wonderful for you. He can do that in the privacy of your home, just you and God. I understand that. But you and I need each other. You and I need each other if we're going to grow into the kind of Christians God wants us to be. He who called us to this is faithful. I'll leave you with this, verse 35 through 37. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Have you come to believe in Christ? Don't throw away your confidence. It has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Friends, for as often as Jesus remains where he is, at the right hand of God the Father, until he returns, let's commit ourselves to this. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope. Let's draw near to God, go right into his presence through the way Jesus has opened up for us. And not just say prayers, but actually pray. You know what I mean? I often wonder if God is keeping, you know, a tally sheet somewhere. How many times did I actually pray? Versus just say what would be recognized as a prayer. Increasingly, I want to pray. Like really pray and see my need for that. And Jesus has made it possible for us to go right up into God's presence and do that. To have him say, welcome. It's good to see you. (laughs) And we can take all the things that burden us and concern us and leave them there. And get up from that place and to go about the life that God has called us to and that he's provided for us. That's what we want, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your patience with us, your grace and your mercy toward us. Thank you for Jesus, his death on the cross in our place, that one offering that in some sense perfects us for all time. Thank you for your spirit who cleanses us on the inside. Lord, so that we can know and be fully assured that even our worst moments have been provided for and taken care of. Lord, we can have unbroken fellowship with you and with each other because of Jesus. And we can be your witnesses in this world despite our many imperfections. You can use us call others to this great blessing of knowing you and enjoying a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us to to take some of those opportunities you'll provide us with this week? Perhaps to bring Jesus up 
to take that risk maybe where it's risky and to walk through a door that you have opened perhaps to find that you have prepared the other side of that conversation already and that that other person that other person is just one or two conversations away from being yours help us to pray for them this week Lord I pray that you would use our message about your son Jesus to bring them to you that they also might know the blessing of being perfected by his offering for all time I ask these things in your name Jesus Amen You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia For more information on the church and to hear other messages please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org